Welcome to the Game and Going Deeper podcast, a podcast by the Gaiman's Brotherhood, where we talk about everything personal development, mental health, spirituality, and sexuality. I'm your host today, Matt Lancedale, and we are joined by Jerome Braggs. Welcome, Jerome. Good to have you here. Thank you, Matt. I am honored to be here. Yeah, it's exciting. Um, so I want to I introduce um, you to the audience, the audience to you. Um, so Jerome, um, Jerome Briggs is a highly gifted, intuitive empath, inspirational speaker, writer and poet, and a psychopompt. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it's a, essentially a soul guide. Um, in 2004, Jerome was diagnosed with AIDS and kidney failure, then given seven days to live. On his deathbed, Jerome had a near-death experience in which he was told by source that the key to true healing and well-being is to come back home to your soul through the way of self-love. That near-death experience catalyzed a mystical multi-year healing journey in which he learned how to heal himself and manifest a profoundly delicious life that feels like heaven on earth through the practice of self-love. Today, Jerome uses his intuitive gifts and the sacred healing wisdom he's learned through his journey to teach empaths, black folks, and some gender loving and same gender loving men around the world how to heal themselves and finally begin living lives that feel like heaven on earth through the practice of self love. That's amazing. I love it. Thank I love you. I love what you're bringing into this world. And uh, that's why I wanted to have you on the show so we could share your gifts and um, just your passion and zest for life with with the listener and, and viewer. So it's great to have you here. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to again, just to be here and talk about my favorite topic and with one of my favorite groups. So I'm excited. Yeah, great. <clears throat> So um, we're, we're going to be talking all about self-love today. So we've got a, we've got a list of questions that we're going to be unpacking with, with Jerome. Um, we're going to learn a little bit more about Jerome, about his story from, from his own words. Um, we're going to talk a bit about what self-love is, uh, what is the difference between self-love and self-worth, um, how come gay men seem to struggle so much with self-love and self-worth, um, and what gets in the way of us loving ourselves, and what are some things we can do to develop more self-love. Um, yeah, this is a big one. It's a big topic. Um, and I think we're going to be able to unpack some really cool, really cool things, um, in this, uh, in this conversation. So, um, why don't we start with, uh, your, your story? Why don't you just just tell us a little bit about you and, um, anything that I didn't share in your bio? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, well, when people usually hear my bio, they want to know about this, that aspect, the story of it, about healing and dying and all of that. So I'll give you a little bit of that because we can literally take up the entire conversation with just that piece, but I'll give you an overview. Please, yeah. So my journey with self-love and with becoming the person that I am today really started on January 1st of 2004. Okay. I had checked into um, the hospital with what I thought was the flu. I was having flu-like symptoms. And when the doctor ran test, um, instead of the flu, I had, they diagnosed me with pneumonia, pancreatitis, anemia, giardia, a fluid packed lung, kidney failure. And if all that wasn't delicious enough already, they also diagnosed me with AIDS and then gave me seven days to live at that time. 
And while I was on my deathbed, um, I kind of had what's called a life review. And it's kind of kind of where, you, where your whole life flashes before your eyes and you're able to look at it and make a decision on how you lived your life. And there were a few questions that came up for me while I was watching this life review. Was, how, was I happy with how I had lived my life? Had I ever really been myself in my life? Did I feel like I had deposited the reason why I had come to the planet um, during my lifetime? And did I really share my heart? with the people that I love, did they know, like if I was going to die, did they really know how I cared about, the, how I felt about them and how I really cared about them? And as the life review was going around, I was looking at all these aspects of my life. What I realized was the answer to all of that was no. Like I wasn't happy with my life, um, how I had lived my life. I didn't feel like I had um, deposited my purpose, there were dreams and goals that not just that I hadn't achieved yet, but I wasn't even in pursuit of. Um, I didn't feel good about myself. I had a lot of shame uh, and fear, which kept me from really expressing the fullness of myself. And um, I hadn't really expressed my heart to other people, uh, really expressed kind of how, you know, I felt. And so I was faced with this conundrum. Now, I was already on the spiritual path by this time. I was a student of spirituality for a few years and metaphysics and all of that. So I fully believed that there was something after death for me. So I wasn't afraid at this time of dying. But what I was horrified of, what was very terrifying for me was the fact that I was faced with this realization that I was getting ready to die. And at the time I was 24. So I was getting ready to die, not having ever fully lived my life. Mm -hmm. That was what I had came this awareness of. Like I was going to literally live this planet, not ever fully having been Jerome or living a life that Jerome really wanted. Mm -hmm. And so I made the decision on my deathbed that I didn't want to die like that. I wanted to die being able to say this was worth it and I had a damn good time and I was myself here. And so I threw everything I knew about my situation. I threw, well, I threw everything I knew about spirituality and creation and manifestation and law of attraction, all that. I threw everything I knew at the situation I was doing. I made a, I was in the hospital um, and I made a little makeshift vision board. I was practicing affirmations. I was meditating. I was doing forgiveness. I was doing all these things, right? That anybody said anywhere at this time about how to manifest your, your reality. And I believe that you could manifest your reality, but I needed to manifest a, rea a miracle and I needed to manifest it fast. For real, yeah. I, was in the, I was in the hospital for a month. And as every week passed, because they had told me that I was only gonna be, be alive for a week. So as every week passed, they said, they would say, well, we're really, we're, we love this progress that you're having, but you probably may only have you know, a few more weeks or maybe another month. And I was able to actually, at the end of that month, I was checked out of the hospital, I was on dialysis. They put me on dialysis and Two months after I got out of the hospital, I was fully healed. Like all the all the stuff that I was doing, to the doctor's amazement, I was fully there. My kidneys were fully functioning. They could not find HIV or AIDS in my system anymore, um, and all the other illnesses had pretty wow. much disappeared. And I was being called a medical miracle. And I thought at that time I had it all figured out. I thought I knew what the key was to 
um, healing and also to living really well. I believe we could create, but I was very solid in my belief at that time that I could create whatever I wanted to. And I knew what, how life worked pretty much in my head until I found myself back in that same hospital a year and a half later with the exact same diagnosis to the T-cell count. Wow. And instead of um, a week to live, this time I had 48 hours. And on my deathbed, instead of having a life review, I asked a question because I knew that um, if I had all these illnesses back again, to, I mean, every single thing, and it was exactly the same presentation, that this wasn't an accident, this was a message, that this was my soul trying to get my attention mm. through the health of my body in a way that I wasn't paying attention to before. So my question was, how do you like really, what is the real key to healing? And what is the real key to living well? Like I want a really good life and I want a well life. I don't just want, and. And I wanna know the real thing. Like, I don't wanna know quick. I wanna know the deep mm -hmm. truth of this. Yeah. And that is when I had what many people call a near-death experience. Right after I asked that question out loud, um, I crossed over to the other side and there was no, but I, I would like to say this because I was alone in my room at this time. So there was no medical, um, proof of this like there was nobody in the room that could that could say he he's dead or anything like this but it was the experience i had of crossing over to the other side leaving my body and i had a conversation with what i call source and some people may call god some people whatever but it felt like me it felt like the highest version of me that wasn't neurotic mm -hmm. that wasn't sick that wasn't had no shame or fear and it said very clearly to me um, two things that the key that you're looking for to healing your body and so your key that you're looking for for a really good life is to love yourself to come back home to your soul through the way of self-love and that I knew a lot about trying to make life be good to me basically trying to make it love me to push to force to to do all of that but that I didn't know anything really I said I didn't know shit about how to let life love me and that it really wanted to do that mm. and that i was going to learn a lot about this through my through this process that i was going to go through afterwards so after i came out of that near-death experience um i made the decision that i was going to learn everything i could about self-love and the last kind of thing that happened was that uh this kind of as i was waking up into my body I had this like download of knowing that what I was going to learn, I was going to be asked to teach and that that's what's going to be part of my purpose here, that mm. I was going to teach what I learned, not just like standing up and talking about it, but like I was going to be a living embodiment and an example for others to see. Mm -hmm. So that began this multi-year journey. I would love to say, you know, I healed and all that stuff happened within a week or so. <laughs> it was many years um, that I had to learn. And I don't think it takes many years, but I wanted, I was very clear. I wanted to know all the outs and ends. And I had to know all the outs and ends. And I went through all the outs and ends of what it actually looks like and what it doesn't look like and what it takes and how it transforms. And that journey, 
transformed my entire life and my entire being. Um, it healed my whole life and it made me begin to live this experience that was more delicious than anything I could have ever imagined before. And that really feels like to me, not just feels like to me, I really know and understand. It opened this door for me to understand this is heaven too. It's not actually this separate punishment place. This is heaven too. Mm -hmm. And the doorway to experiencing your own heaven instead of your own hell is to love yourself truly. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that's, um, there's so many things that I, that I could say right now. I think um, the first thing I want to say is you're just a really captivating person to listen to. You have uh, the way you tell stories and the way you speak is very captivating. Um, I feel a lot of excitement in my body for, for you and for um, this conversation, just to, to know what I'm going to learn and what the listeners are going to learn from, from, from you. Um, I'm excited about that. And I'm curious about, you know, the state that you were in when you weren't living heaven on earth, when you were living hell on earth, what was going on for you? Because let's create a bit of resonance between you and maybe the listener who is feeling like they're living hell on earth right now. What did that look like for you? So um, one of the biggest things that I would, I really wanted was to be myself in my life, but I wasn't. Mm -hmm. And I had a lot and I wasn't because I was scared to, and I had a lot of shame so my biggest probably wound was feeling not enough and unlovable some type of way. Mm -hmm. And I was feeling particularly, there were certain areas where that really manifested. So one was I was um, teased a lot as a kid for the shape of my body. I was a thicker kid. So I was made to believe that how I looked and how my body existed naturally wasn't enough and it wasn't lovable. And so I was constantly hiding because this is kind of what we do when we feel there's an aspect of us that will not garnish love for us. One of the things we often will do with that is we'll try to hide that aspect because what you're trying to do is protect yourself from losing love. Mm -hmm. So I hid like one of the things that I never wore shorts, you would never see my legs. I would never, I wasn't just, I wouldn't take my shirt off in, in the pool or anything like that. But I was, and I was an athlete and I wouldn't undress in the locker room and things like that. But also I felt a lot of shame for my body. So again, when we feel we're not enough, what we feel is there's something wrong with you as you are. So I lived a lot of feeling that my body was wrong as it, as it was. And that it had, and the only way it was going to be right. And the only way it was gonna be enough is if I changed it. Mm. So that was one of the big things. The other thing was, you know, I discovered that I was attracted to the same gender when I was five years old. And at the exact same time that I had this discovery, I could feel in the air that this was not okay, that this was not going to be okay. And from that moment at five years old, I made a decision that I would never let that part of myself be seen, mm -hmm. that I would hide and suppress. So there was this suppression energy of me, even though those feelings never went away and they never dissipated and they didn't even lessen a bit, 
I never expressed that publicly because I was afraid of being rejected and criticized. Mm -hmm. And of, of course, that was everywhere at the time when I grew up, you know, that there wasn't, especially for a Black man, there wasn't an acceptance of being same gender attracted. And so if you were same gender attracted, you were unholy. You were, there was something wrong with you. There was something unlovable about you and you definitely didn't belong. Mm -hmm. And so one of the biggest needs for us as kids is to, as is one of our human needs, is to feel connected to others and to feel accepted and loved. Mm -hmm. And so again, if you believe that there's something that threatens that, one of the major ways of trying to protect yourself from that being taken is to suppress or hide. So that's what I did. I lived many, 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 many years of my life suppressing my sexuality, hiding my sexuality. Um, and then also, you know, there was, um, Again, there was feminine that I have both masculine and feminine aspects of myself, like we all do, but I'm very much very, I'd say probably 60, 40, maybe 55, 45, mm -hmm. right? More on the more masculine scale. But I was, I was as a kid, the feminine, feminine aspects of me were very ridiculed. Mm. And in the environment that I grew up in, not necessarily in my parents, but like in the in the cultural environment and in my other social situations that I moved in, femininity was demonized. And it was made to believe that if you're a man, a, a boy, and you are feminine expressing in any way, you're unlovable, you're not enough. Mm -hmm. So I suppressed those aspects of myself. And the more older I got, the more I started to cut those things off, tried to cut them, right? Mm -hmm. But here's the thing, when we cut aspects and we suppress aspects of ourselves and we hide aspects of ourselves, we disconnect. So you don't experience the wholeness of your being. Mm -hmm. You cannot experience it, you can't embody it, you can't be in the energy of it. And then one last aspect, so there were four main parts that were kind of my wounds was, I knew I was an intuitive person when I was very young as well. Mm -hmm. I was having a lot of intuitive experiences. I could read people's energy. You could not lie to me. I always knew what the truth was, even if you never said it. Mm -hmm. I was seeing things, um, but I grew up in a very Christian environment and Christian home, and that was not okay and that was not acceptable and that was not holy and in alignment with being holy so that was another thing I suppressed was I didn't really engage in my gifts I really didn't engage in my talents I didn't speak about them so I moved through a lot of my life feeling shame and feeling high fear of being myself and so I, but here I was trying to get my dreams, trying to, trying to go for what I thought I wanted, um, but not being in the energy that allows us to manifest any of that. And also being shame and fear drain us of the energy of our soul, which is love. Mm -hmm. So you can't be drained of the energy of your soul and be healthy at the same time, which is what I, which is why I manifested those illnesses. We taught to believe that illness is something that happens externally. The root cause of illness is always internal. It is mm -hmm. always energy drain or energy disconnection, some type of way. Mm -hmm. So this is all the stuff I found out, you know, after my near-death experience, but that was who I was before then. You know, I was this person 
also highly seeking approval because I didn't have my own acceptance. So mm. when we have a lack of acceptance, what you, so acceptance is a facet of love. It's a, it's a fat, love energy is a multifaceted energy. It's just not one thing we've been taught is affection, mm. but it's way more than that. It is way more. So acceptance and appreciation are facets of love. And when we do not have it for ourselves, we become starved for it from others. We get a, a ferocious appetite for it for others. Mm -hmm. And that comes in the form of like approval and belonging. So I was constantly people pleasing. I was always playing small. Like I wouldn't speak up what I actually believed in, in fear that if I spoke it up and, and you didn't agree, you would reject me or ridicule me. I always put the needs of others before my own. I was constantly showing up to support and help and, and meet other people's needs. Mine were constantly being neglected and going starving, which is why one of the reasons why I wasn't in pursuit of my own dreams, although everybody else around me was getting theirs met, mine weren't. Um, and I was also, I had no boundaries because boundaries, you know, to speak up for myself and say no, and I didn't want to do that, or this is not okay with me, that could lead to the loss of approval. And approval, I was starved for it. So anything that threatened approval, I wouldn't do. So this was a person that was trying to, but again, here I was in spirituality, reading all the manifestation books, burning the candles in the sage, drinking the green juice, lighting the candles, going to the workshops, doing all these things, trying to manifest this good life and not understanding why it wasn't working. Why I could get a parking space in front of the mall, but I couldn't get somebody to love me. I could get, you know, $5 in the middle of the couch when I needed something to eat, but I couldn't manifest consistent abundance. And I didn't have a life that felt good to me and tasted good to me and I wasn't happy. And so that is who I was before the near-death experience um, and, the, and the illnesses and diseases. And that is why I also know those illnesses came to save me. They didn't come to kill me. They came to wake me up because the way I was living was killing me. Yeah, you basically just described me in my life as well. Very similar. And I think a lot of the people listening are going to really resonate with your story. Um, the, the Gay Men's Brotherhood um, is built on that. The, the, the fundamental principle and, and purpose of the brotherhood is to move from shame to authenticity, right? Another word for authenticity could essentially be love and love for self and alignment to soul. Um, so yeah, a lot of resonance there. I feel a lot of things in your story are um, truths for, for so many of us. And, and your story represents a lot of, I think, other people's stories as well. So thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, I think, you know, when I think of the, the, this term self-love, I think of, it just feels uh, very unattainable, unreachable. Like it's hard, like, you know, we all want it. It's just an easy thing to say. It's overused. It's a hype word. Um, and for a lot of people, it almost feels like it's just, it's impossible. Like, how do we finally get to that place? A lot of people view it as a destination. I'm going to arrive to just this ultimate love for myself. Um, you know, there's so many different things that we could talk about it in this. Like, how do you define self-love? What does it mean to you? Yeah. So 
I'm glad you asked that question and you're so right because we have been socialized in every corner, probably in every country that I know of, um, really out of the trueness of what love is. And we have here in America, especially we associate, or in the West, we associate it with affection, mm -hmm. but it's also associated with many different things like being super nice so that people cross your boundaries and you don't have any boundaries and you're always meeting and you're being selfless. This is really what a lot of us have been socialized around the world to believe love is, is this selflessness that I am always in service to you. Mm -hmm. But the problem of that is I'm never in service to myself. And this is why our understanding of love to me really is bullshit. Um, and so that's one thing to understand why we don't understand love. Mm -hmm. It's also because what, how we're taught as human beings is what we get our understanding from is really our families and our, and our environments that we grow up in. That's our first classroom. Mm -hmm. And what we learn in our classroom, the, what, what our main lesson is in our first classroom is whether to embrace and express the wholeness of our soul or to reject and deny it. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the majority of us, especially if you are saying gender loving, gay, or on the LGBTQ spectrum at all, the majority, especially around my age group, the beauty of it is it's changing a lot with the, with the new generation. But in my age group and, be, and before me, if you were saying gender loving or on that spectrum, you did not get the tools and the understanding that you needed to hold on to your wholeness. Mm. You just didn't get it. So one thing I tell people is it's very understandable that you don't know what self-love is because it's not taught in school. Mm -hmm. It's not taught in our religious systems. It's not taught in our institutions. So one thing is to not beat yourself up because it's, it's very unloving to expect ourselves to know something we were never taught how to do. Exactly. Yeah. So that's one. But two, self-love is, self-love, let me say this before I give you the definition. It is the most important thing you are ever going to learn in this lifetime. Mm. Amen. Because your entire life is dependent on it and your body's health mm -hmm. is dependent on it. And here's why, and I'll give you my definition. Mm. Self-love is the practice of embodying the energy of your soul. The soul is love. It is made of love. It is made from love. It is made for love. Mm. It is a multifaceted energy, I said before. So it's like, um, some of the facets, these are kind of the main facets, are worthiness, freedom, joy, peace, and I'll say like empowerment and safety, mm -hmm. right? And so these are all facets of what love is. And yeah. if you really think about it, so most people that will have near-death experiences, they'll say that when they cross over, they experience love like they've never known. And it's really because, again, we've only been kind of taught about one of the facets of love, which is affection. Yeah. And so you get this wholeness of the experience. And you're like, wait a minute, this is beyond anything I understood. Mm. And it's unconditional. All of you is in that energy, right? You can almost even say love is well-being. Mm. So 
if you are not embodying the soul's energy, the soul is the source of well-being and it is the source of your wellness. So if you are disconnected from your soul in any type of way, that's when you start to manifest suffering mm -hmm. and dysfunction and addiction. And then your body was literally created to run off, to house and run off of the energy of your soul. So when your soul's energy is not in your body, it's starved and nothing that is starved and malnourished can be healthy. So this is what love is much bigger than we think. It's much bigger than that. It's about daily doing things that allow you to embody the wholeness of the soul that you are. And it's a daily practice because there's going to be different things every day that challenge that. Mm -hmm. There's going to be, you know, some days loving yourself may look like just resting and wiping your to-do list. Mm -hmm. Some days self-love may be, you know, well, let me get my shit together. I've been really procrastinating doing something I really want to do. And that's not been feeling good to me. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I'm betraying myself. So let me actually do some work today. Yeah. Right. So it's different and it looks different um, depending on what you're going through, but it's, it's really about expressing the fullness of yourself. Expression is an aspect of self-love. Yeah. Cherishing yourself. So that is having um, an unconditional positive relationship with yourself, right? So accepting and appreciating yourself, not shaming, not rejecting, not denying, or trying to always edit or suppress any aspect of yourself, trusting yourself hmm. and supporting yourself and allowing yourself to be supportive as well. That's also an aspect of being self-love, but supporting yourself and nourishing your joy. You are here to have a delicious, joyful life. And joy is a facet of love. So how do you nourish your joy daily? These are foods, like love is soul food. Mm -hmm. So are you feeding yourself daily the love that you need to survive? Love, this is why they say love is a human need. You cannot be well or live well when you are starved of any aspect of love. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I think th this is why we do authenticity work is so we can clear out the things that, um, well, I, I don't even like the word clear out. It's more integration, right? We all have shadow aspects. We all have these things that we were taught not to love about ourselves. And the, the work of self-love, in my opinion, and self-worth is to integrate those things and learn to love those things and, and you know, not try and rid ourselves of them. Um, and that's this notion too, like I, I said it earlier, but um, this notion that it's a destination that we arrive to that we're one day just going to be in this state of constant wholeness and this constant state of love for ourselves. I don't experience life that way. I don't know about you, but like, for me, it's an ebb and flow. Like some days I feel good. Some days I'm really loving of myself and some days it's hard. It's harder to do that for me. Right. Um, what's your take on that? You're smiling. <laughs> yeah. So loving myself is can I be there for myself mm -hmm. with appreciation and acceptance mm -hmm. and nourishment, even when the shit's hitting the fan, mm -hmm. even when this didn't work out the way I thought it should, even when I really wanted to, one of my goals was to lose 15 pounds, but I gained 10 pounds, mm -hmm. even when they don't see me the way I feel about myself. Can I not 
Can I be there? Can I be my own best friend unconditionally? Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that I am always happy. It doesn't mean that I always feel a high, high, high vibration at all times. Mm -hmm. what, what will happen is the more you love yourself, the higher your, your range, your, your, like, your normal range of vibration and your normal feeling of joy is dramatically increased. Mm -hmm. But there is an ebb and flow, but in the, in the ebb, am I at war with, like loving myself means even in the ebb, I don't go to war with myself in mm -hmm. any way. Yeah, I feel that for sure. Yeah, that I am, that I'm, I hold myself through it. Even if holding myself means, let me call somebody and say, I'm having a hard time. Can you hold me? Mm -hmm. Right. So that is, that is what loving ourselves is. It's, it's, can I express myself? Can I cherish myself? Can I trust myself? Can I do what's nourishing for me? Even in the tough, in rough times. It doesn't mean that tough times won't come. Suffering won't come. Pain will come. Discomfort will come. Because mm -hmm. that's part of life. You, you need those things. Mm -hmm. But when shit hits the fan and it's not going like I want it to go, can Jerome still accept? Can he still, can he still appreciate? Can he still express and not go back into hiding? Mm -hmm. Can he still trust that even though this doesn't look like it right now, I'm going to receive what I need to move through this. Mm -hmm. And that's the loving myself is even when I, even when I trip up or fuck up, I felt shame today. Can I not add more shame to myself for feeling shame? Mm -hmm. Even though I may be afraid today, like, okay, can I not add shame to myself for being afraid? Can I allow me I'll say it like this, like love is this, loving the self is understanding that no matter what, no matter what, I am lovable, I am enough, mm -hmm. and I am here to express myself. That feels good. <laughs> it feels good just even to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, it's like cutting yourself some slack. You know, we all, all all put so much pressure on ourselves and we're all so hard on ourselves. And I think it is shame driven, right? I think shame, it's, it's a theme that you keep talking about your whole story. There was shame kept coming up, body shame, shame of not being enough, hiding who we are, not wanting to express ourselves. It's all this root of shame, at least in my experience and what I see and how I view the world. Um, like... Uh, for, for the listener um, and viewer, like what's something that, that you can recommend to them to do to start to, to move through that? I know it's a process and there's a lot of things that need to be done to heal shame, but what's one thing that stands out for you? So shame, when you feel shame, what's actually happening, shame is a pattern. So um, what actually happens when we've been shamed, if we train, we've been trained to view ourselves one way and you're just that we've been trained over here in this way is, is continuing to be fed. That's the only reason why you feed. It's almost like the light is over here, but you've been trained to look over here in the dark. And so the way to really, one of the best ways to do this is to shift your focus over to the light. And mm -hmm. so 
one of the things I love to do, and that's really, it sounds so simple, but I promise you, if you, if you dedicate yourself to this, you will have dramatic results, is you just have to shift your focus. And so one of the things I immediately like to do, this is something you can do right now, is when is basically the principle is to stop feeding shame and to start feeding love. Mm -hmm. okay. So whenever shame comes up or shame spiral comes up or I don't feel good, uh, something's wrong with me or how stupid of me to do this or whatever, you stop, you notice it. So one, you have to notice when you shame yourself, when you shame yourself, the moment you notice it, put your hand on your heart, close your eyes and take in a deep breath and say, I hear you, I really hear you, but I am no longer feeding this story. I am feeding the story of love. Hmm. That if you will do this, right when you get through with that, if you will make a list of four things that are wonderful about you, hmm. four things that you love about yourself or you celebrate yourself and then tell yourself why you love that thing, mm -hmm. why that thing is wonderful. What you'll feel is a shift in you because you can't feel shame and love at the same time in the same place. They're two different frequencies. So mm -hmm. they can't just like energy, if we don't energy or magnets, you know, two, if, if they're different polarities, they can't be in the same space. So the vibration of love is different than the vibration of shame. And so when you shift to love, shame has to, has to leave for a moment. Mm -hmm. And if you will continue <clears throat> to do this, right? So that you're no longer feeding the shame. It's just like anything. If you water and feed it, it has to continue to grow. But if you starve it, it will. And the thing is, you've just been starving the love part for a while. Mm -hmm. You were taught to starve the love part. So the love part hasn't been growing. But if you start to feed the love part by just making this every time, in the beginning, you're going to be doing this a lot because mm -hmm. <laughs> this is what's been going through. So you'll do this a lot of times during the day. And you'll realize you don't have to do it as much. If you just do it for 30 days, you'll realize you're not doing it as much and you feel differently about yourself yeah. and you feel more worldly and like, oh, wow. Yeah, no, I have all these other good things. And if you try to tell yourself different things every time, this works. Now, you may not get four different things every time, but if you try to get in one or two different things, it will shift because what's happening in the brain um, just to give some science backing to this. So there's a part of our brain called the reticular activating system. And for short, it's called the RAS. So the reticular activating system is designed to keep the brain from being overloaded. Mm -hmm. And what it does, because at any given moment, they found that there's over 400 million, and it might be higher than that. I always mess this number up, but it's, it's, 400 million or higher, but there's 400 million bits of information available to the brain for us to process. The brain can only handle 2000 of those bits. So what that means is we're not even really seeing what's actually there. Mm -hmm. In any given moment, we're not seeing all of what's there. We cannot. Our brain collapses the, the information down to 2000 bits and what is in charge of those two, what gets selected as those 2000 bits is what we believe and what we intently focus on. Yeah. And the brain will only let you see that in every situation. So this process begins to shift your 2000 bits a little bit. 
And what happens as your 2000 bit shift, even if they shift a little bit, all of a sudden you start seeing evidence of that everywhere. It's like, wait a minute, where mm -hmm. was that? It's one of the things I love to do when I'm doing workshops with, or especially when I'm talking about the RAS, I'll have people say, okay, go decide um, a license plate you wanna see, like mm -hmm. repeating numbers or something like that. You've never seen this license plate, but decide you wanna see it and make a decision. You're going to see this in the next 24 hours. It never fails. Mm -hmm. Not only do people see it, but they start seeing several of it everywhere. They're like, wait a minute. It feels like it's common now instead of this rare thing. This is because you shifted your 2000 bits and it's showing you that. So this process helps you shift your brain to where it's now focusing on what's lovable about you mm -hmm. and what's enough and what's worthy about you. And then you'll start to see more, more, the more you do this, the more evidence you start to see about this and it's shifting you away from the message of shame. So you don't even see that anymore. Yeah. And that's one very simple thing to do. But if you are um, dedicated to it, you, because I don't believe in teaching things that are very lofty. I need you to prove this to yourself. Like, mm -hmm. don't take my word for anything. Prove it. Do yeah. the work and prove it. But that's very simple. And you can do that. That's a very simple self-love step. Yeah, that's a, a really good one. And I like that. And it's, 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 it's the testament to that we're constantly forming and informing our own realities, because this, this RAS system can be driven by the heart, or it can be driven by the ego. So if you want to reinforce your rightness of how wrong you are, your ego will grab onto that, right? Or you want to reinforce how right you are and how beautiful you are, your, your heart can grab onto that. So the power of focus is really everything in this work, um, because it will, it will dictate how you feel about yourself. So I, I, I think that's the most beautiful advice uh, to give. Um, a lot of gratitude for that, that advice. It's beautiful. Thank you. Uh, okay, let's, let's draw this into the context of, um, of same sex love or gay love. I'm curious, why do you call, why do you refer to it that I read your website, and you say same, same gender loving? Is there a reason why you use that as opposed to gay or? or... Yeah, so gay never really resonated for me. Okay. No. Um, in my energy. And I used to call myself gay because I didn't have any other term for it. And it yeah. just never landed for me. Yeah. Okay. And also what it resonated for me, what it, what it, um, not resonated, what it illustrated for me when I would ever call it was a white culture. Mm. And I never really saw myself as part of that. And yeah. I came out in black gay culture. And so when I was, when it, whenever gay was used, my culture and what I knew and what felt good for me and what was helping me was never really um, represented in that term. Fair enough. And yeah. still there was a, a psychologist who, uh, a black say, gay psychologist who came up with the term same gender loving. And when I, as specifically for people of color uh, to use. But what I took that term, when I, I always make sure, I always test how something feels in my energy field before yeah. I do it. So when I took the term and I felt it, it felt like home, one, because it feels less, to me, it felt less limiting. Like it, I could be more than that, right? And I could have more experiences than that. Um, and it also focused on love. It wasn't just about, um, 
it was about love. It was about who I like, how I experienced and how I expressed love um, with the same gender. And mm -hmm. I just, to me, that felt delicious to me. Now, I'm not saying that we should not use gay in that, because I still, mm -hmm. I'll say it and I use it in the terms, but how I identify myself, that particular identity felt the most free to me. And it felt the most in alignment with my expression. Hmm. I like that. I like that a lot, actually. Um, and I bet you if you were to survey like a group of heterosexual people and say, what does the word gay mean to you? They immediate, immediately would probably attribute sex or sexuality like, you know, and, and I think the same same gender loving. You're right. It does have the, more of a connotation of it being um, emotional. Like it's this is who I love. This is who I want to partner with. So right. there's a bit more depth. And I'm okay with sex, by the way. Sex is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah, no of demonization of sex. Yeah. But it just, it's it, like you said, in, in, in social and cultural terms, uh, gay has often just collapsed down to only being kind of looking through a pigeonhole and seeing it like that. Mm -hmm. And because we, because same gender loving is a new term, rather new in the last you know few years, there's not a lot of social um, uh, and cultural attachments to what it is. So yeah. you have to hear it. You have yeah. to listen. Yeah. Um, and so I like that. Yeah, it was the first time I had been exposed to it. What and you know that's kind of rare for me. I, I do a lot, a lot of reading and and exposure in this space. So thank you for introducing me to that yeah, topic. No problem. But drawing this into the context of gay men, so I want to really, um, because that's our listener and our viewer, so we want to um, help them understand, like, maybe why is it so challenging for gay men? Like, what are some of the things we experience collectively as, a, as you know, in gay culture that make it hard for us to love ourselves? Yeah, one, good God, you know, if you are gay, where did you learn? to embrace the fullness of yourself, mm -hmm. right? So good guys, so one, let's take off the pressure of saying, I don't love myself and let's take the whips out of our hands for beating ourselves up for that. Mm -hmm. Because you can't have known, <laughs> you just can't, there's not, you know, there are very few whose parents were completely appreciative and completely accepting of their of their expression and all the uh, the ways it expressed, whether they were more masculine or more feminine or they were both. Or there's very few places where that happens. And so you didn't learn it in school. You didn't. So you didn't have the groundwork, right? And so that's the the first place that as babies we all do. So if you look at if you look at babies, they're in love with their bodies, no matter what their bodies look like. It's got all these wrinkles and these little fat parts, so they can't keep they can't keep their hands off of touching their body. They'll run naked, not thinking. There's no shame in the field yet, right? Mm -hmm. So we get socialized into shame. Also, for a lot of gay men, there's trauma. Mm -hmm. There is trauma comes in many different forms. And so there was, there may have been a lot of teasing or ridicule or rejection. There may have been a lot of punishment. Mm -hmm. There may have even been violence on the body for your mm -hmm. expression. So what trauma makes you do is it makes you feel like an aspect of your expression is not safe and an aspect of your expression about who you are is not lovable. It's not enough. And so that's one of the reasons why most gay men don't know how to love ourselves because we were socialized out of it and we were also many of us were traumatized out of it the other part of that is again it's not in dominant culture anywhere 
it's not anywhere. Like it's not the, the idea of cherishing yourself and expressing yourself and trusting yourself and really owning unconditionally that you are lovable. Where is that? Like everywhere in dominant culture, which is seeped into gay culture is, you'll be enough when, when you get this amount of money, when you look like this, when the weight is this number on the scale, mm -hmm. when you have this amount of money in your bank account, or you're okay, but you could really use this. And so we're socialized to believe, and this is what's very rampant in gay culture, is that you always have to be on this rat race of improvement. But there is no amount of self-improvement that will ever make up for a lack of self-acceptance. Yeah. You will always be hungry for improvement if you don't have this thing that I am enough just as I am. I may want to look differently, but how I look right now is lovable and enough. And I can show up wherever I am and know that I am worthy of receiving love. Mm -hmm. I may want to be, I may want to have more money, but what I have right now is enough. I'm mm -hmm. still worthy and lovable. I still belong. You know, these are the types of conversations that we weren't really taught yeah. how to have with ourselves. We were, we were taught that our worthiness is conditional, that our lovability is conditional, that our safety as well, which is a whole nother conversation, but that our safety in this world is conditional. So I'll be safe, I'll be worthy, I'll be lovable when or if. And when you have those when or ifs, you already know, you are, that's a, a huge red signal. If there's a conversation in your mind that says when or if, that is an unloving conversation immediately. Yeah, it's conditional. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons. And then um, we, we're modeling and we continue to issue, you know, what we've been given. So in our culture, we don't love each other. And we've created a culture that is not very loving, right? Mm -hmm. So it's very judgmental. It gives shame. If you, do, if you don't look like this, if you're not masculine enough, if you're not feminine enough, if you're not this or you're not that. So we have the wound that we have been injected with through our matriculation in this lifetime. Mm -hmm. We are now embodying and, and um, injecting our culture and other people in the culture with those wounds. So yeah. there's this cycle and this is how life happens. You get wounded and then you wound mm -hmm. or you heal and then you heal. And there's just not been a massive shift in healing in gay culture. There are places that there are many that have healed. There are many people that do that, but there's got to be a kind of critical mass shift yeah, before you see it all the way across the dominant culture. Yeah, yeah, you, you said it so well. And this is exactly the work that we're, we're doing in, in the Brotherhood is we're, we're, we're trying to, to change the culture. We're making a paradigm shift and bringing people towards more of their authentic self. And this notion of hurt people hurt people stands out when you say, when you say that it's, a, it's perpetuating shame. If we have a shame story, we perpetuate that. We don't want other people to rise above how we feel about ourselves. So we want to bring them into the misery and the pain that we're having, whether that's conscious or unconscious. Um, and that's not something to shame ourselves about. It's just how we end up being conditioned. And I, I love this notion of like loved people love people. 
when we love ourselves and we feel love for ourselves, we want other people to feel this beautiful feeling that we're feeling. So we, again, perpetuate love. So it's, it really does a collective shift and a systemic shift has to start with the individual. And this is something I preach all the time because we can't change a system if we're not changing the people who are engaging or made of the system. And I think that this is, this is the work and I see it happening before my eyes. And I'm so excited about this because um, I'm starting to see more and more gay men being authentic and being their true self and expressing that and not carrying so much shame and um, seeing more connection in the communities uh, more than just sex. And like, I'm, I'm with you. There's nothing wrong with sex. It's beautiful. But when that's the only way that we know how to relate with another man, it's just not enough. It's not enough for a lot of us. We need more, right? So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'm really jazzed up. You're, you're jazzing me up, man. I'm feeling good. About it. <laughs> I want to, I want to piggyback on this one. Okay. I really okay. don't, I want to, this is really important to understand what we're, what we're talking about right now okay, yeah. is that you can only give to another what you have. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. You can only ever give to another what you already possess. And so when we're talking about gay culture and how we shame each other and how we create spaces where our authentic expression is not always safe to be to, to as far as, um, you know, it's not safe or it's not welcomed or if it, we make people not belong. I cannot shame you if I don't feel shame for myself. And this was something I learned very clearly in my healing journey is I used to be a person that used to always judge, always criticize and judge people on their body size and shape mm -hmm. and just always tease people. And even if it wasn't like audibly with my friends, oh, look at him over there or look at her over there or whatever, whatever. Mm -hmm. And when I began to do the work of loving myself and really unpacking and releasing all the places in myself where I was not happy with my body and where I didn't love my body or accept my body, that just left. It wasn't something that I was, I, I was like consciously trying to work on. Like, I don't need, I don't want to tease people anymore. It just literally left so much so that people will say, and this is I, when I'm around a lot of people, they'll be, or around certain family members or friends, they'll be like, oh, look at her. And I'm like, what? I'm literally like, what are you talking about? And then they'll say, look at da 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 da. And I don't even see it. Mm -hmm. yeah. It does not register to me at all in the way and i understand oh you have you have you you don't love your body and this is why you're seeing you're seeing because what other people are in this dimension this life dimension is they are always going to reflect back to you how you feel about yourself for real yeah it's classic projection right it's projected so if you feel good about yourself you will see if you let me say this if you've been training yourself to view what's right about you and what's good about you. And that's where your focus goes and what's celebratory about you. When you look at another person, that's all you see. But if there's any place in you where you, you don't, that's yet that you've yet to do that, or if there's some place you're still working on with that, when you look at another person, you're going to see that too. Mm -hmm. That's going to be something you see. But if that's not there, you cannot see it you cannot notice it because they are only a reflection of you mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. i love it so this love is it. why it's important so so important what you said when you do your personal self-love work it reflects out in the world you this is why you become a more loving person this is why they say you can't really effectively 
love someone else mm -hmm. when you don't love yourself? One of the reasons why that is, is because you are going to offer everybody the same shame and fear and suppression mm -hmm. that you still hold yeah. somehow, somehow you're going to offer it. Yeah. Yeah. Just drop the mic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's um, it, this is, this is the power of shadow work um, is really the integration of the things we don't love about ourselves. And then suddenly we start seeing more love, for ourselves and then we start seeing more love in the universe and there's no there's no more time in this uh, you know in the history of this planet that this is needed right now right and i think it's happening it's happening on a global scale scale i think energetically we're shifting as a species and i think this is what we're all being called towards so if you're if you're experiencing this and you're experiencing heavy self-loathing and and shame um i want uh, you know i want to incite some hope that this is you know part of sometimes experiencing things like shame and self-loathing is me it means we're clearing it we're bringing it closer to ourselves so we can have more awareness around it and what needs to be worked on and then take take jerome's advice and start to draw your attention towards the things that are celebratory about you and and, and use the power of your focus to draw yourself towards more loving um thoughts and and feelings about yourself um yeah, yeah. One thing about shadow work, I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. Because when we're talking about self-love, what ends up happening when you go and you rescue, you excavate the pieces of you that you've divorced from yourself or you rejected from yourself or you pushed mm -hmm. down and you denied it. One, you feel more home than you've ever felt. And you begin to embrace those things and you begin to release the, the stories that told you there was something wrong with them yeah. and that they didn't belong. And you bring every aspect of you, make it belong to yourself and you express that piece. There's a few magical things that happen. And then I'm using the word magic intentionally because I mean it. Mm -hmm. One of the things that happens is you are shown the universe bends over backwards to show you that the only place any aspect of you ever belonged was in the light. Mm. That there was no place, no part of your being that ever belonged in the shadow because all of you is lovable. Mm. And when you really start to do this work and you really start to, to do the work to remember, because this is really a remembering, to remember that all of you is lovable, the other part of the magic thing happens is that the universe bends over backwards to prove it to you. Hmm. The very things that were part of my shame that I used to get teased for, that I got ridiculed for, I got abused for the very things that I thought were not enough and that did not deserve love are the very things people love me the most about today. Right. Yeah. And they're the very things that are literally the source of my success. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. So this is the, there is no part of you and it becomes medicine. The wound becomes medicine because what's gonna happen is you're, you're saving yourself becomes the very blueprint or map 
somebody else uses, uses to save themselves. But that's really, I can't tell you enough, like I'm not using hyperbole here, when you rescue all those pieces and you bring them out, they become the root foundation of what your success becomes grounded on and you yeah. reach more success than you ever knew before. And they become the very things that people become attracted to you for, that they celebrate you for, that they laud you for, the very aspects that you thought you pushed into shadow, this is not enough. Oh my God, if somebody finds out this about me, they'll never love me, I won't be safe. That very thing becomes the very door that like they say a lot of times, it becomes the little portal for which the light shines through. Yeah. It becomes this doorway that opens the door to more love than you ever knew. Hmm. yeah you and i are both a living testament of that i think we we heal publicly because we we know that these parts of ourselves that we once rejected about ourselves are now the things that people flock to us for right and they we're, we're a living embodiment of how transformation can lead to success when you do start to practice more self-love um i'm just mindful of time here i um you know, I, I, I'm experiencing a lot of gratitude right now and a lot of love for you because I just feel your humanness. I feel your, um, your genuinity, your authenticity, your desire to help others and shine this light into the world. And, you know, the world is really lucky to have, um, to have you. And we're very lucky to have been able to, to tap into your wisdom and your soul your soul wisdom. That's really what this is. Like I felt your soul in this conversation and um, yeah, just a lot of love for you. And I know I'm speaking on behalf of the whole brotherhood that we're going to, we're really happy to have uh, this conversation with you and hopefully uh, many more to come. So thank you for your time. Uh, thank you. This was delicious. Yeah. Likewise. Likewise. Um, all right. So to the listener um, that was powerful, very powerful. Um, we're, we're very grateful to have you here as well, to have you here um, listening and, and witnessing us um, in our growth. And um, thank you for, for coming along the road. So if you're listening on your favorite podcast network, please um, subscribe to us, uh, leave a review. Uh, we read out the reviews for people. So um, if you enjoyed this, this, this podcast, please uh, leave us a review about it. Um, and for people that are watching on YouTube, please uh, leave... Uh, well, subscribe to us and and um, and hit the bell icon, knowing that you'll um, get informed when we release content each week, each Thursday. And uh, if you enjoyed this this episode and you have a question for either myself or Jerome, please leave it in the comments below, and I will um, personally make sure that they get answered. Um, and yeah, much love to you all on your journey home to yourself. And uh, again, thank you, Jerome, for today. Appreciate you.